I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch's sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee, plus 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com code odyssey. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. You know, the people we work with the most aren't always the people we see every day. You probably have clients and coworkers around the globe, and to work efficiently, you need a stronger connection. That's why we use GoToMeeting with HD Faces. Simple way to meet online and see everyone face-to-face. With GoToMeeting by Citrix, you share the same screen to collaborate in real time. You just turn on your webcam. Feels like you're in the same room. You can launch a meeting from anywhere using a computer, smartphone, tablet, or an iPad. We love it. So try GoToMeeting free for 30 days. For this special offer, visit GoToMeeting.com, click the Try It Free button, and use the promo code RISK. Remember, that's GoToMeeting.com, use the promo code RISK. Also, as you know, small businesses can come in any shape or size these days, but even if you work in a traditional office... I am here to inform you that you can do all your mailing and shipping right now from your own computer and printer. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package. They'll send you a digital scale, help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. We use Stamps.com and we love it. Right now you can use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including the digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in RISK. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Giraffage behind me now. Or Giraffe Age? I don't know. I don't know from these kids and their animal 
referencing band names. But they sound terrific, and it's the start of a terrific show. This is live from Charleston 2, the second time we've been to the absolutely delightful town of Charleston, South Carolina. If you go there, you must, you must stop by Theater 99. Brandy Sullivan and Greg Tavares have created the most creative and friendly and fun community of people there at Theater 99. I can't tell you how much I love those guys. And because I taught storytelling workshops the last time I was down there in January, a lot of those folks who attended the workshops have either gone on to create storytelling shows or participate in storytelling shows. So I'm really hoping that every time we come back, we can keep this storytelling phenomena in Charleston building and growing. And I'd love to do the same in your town. So write to me at kevin at risk-show.com. We're going to start with the lovely Camille Lohman, who can be seen on the TBS series Are We There Yet? And who is a member of the improv troupe Mary Kay Has a Posse right there at Theater 99. Such a treat to have worked with her. And here she is at Risk, live from Charleston, it's Camille Lohman with a story we call The Storm. Hey, y'all. Hey. So the stripper would be arriving at around 8 o'clock. That's right. And for those of you who've ever been a bachelorette or a bridesmaid, you know that the strippers are hot, except when they come to your house. <laughs> so there were about six of us, and we were all acquaintances. We kind of just had the common thread of the bride. And we were going to spend a couple hours together, and then we were going to see a stripper who was going to show up at our house at 8 o'clock. Actually, it was a condo, which made it even better. Who doesn't like strippers and pastels? <laughs> so um, we started to get to know each other a little bit more, and we all realized we are all basically from, you know, small southern towns, and we were raised by good families, and we're all pretty proper ladies. Um, one of them, some of them are a little more debutante than others. You know, one girl is like always crosses her, her legs at the at the ankles, never the knees. <laughs> Um, I'm probably the most wild one as we kind of like start boozing and passing the Evan Williams. And, um, uh, and I'm a little bit more open sexually. And I'm... I'm um, I'm not saying that I'm crazy, but I mean, you can't have some of this without some repercussions. So... Um, even, even, even as a Southern girl, and I, I left and lived in Chicago and New York, and where I was living there, I could have had this kind of like cloak of amenity from um, the city, and I pretty much could have done anything I wanted. And I had some urges to like, maybe I'll just like check out a sex party. I'll just like watch. I mean, I won't do anything. Or like, maybe I'll have a threesome. Who knows? I'm not gay or straight, who knows? Um, but I didn't do any of that because something kept kind of reining me back in. Um, I don't know if it was my southern upbringing. 
<laughs> so, um, so these, some of these girls are on the other spectrum. And so we're getting this stripper, and um, one of the girls, who's very debutante, I remember her saying, now, do you think he can pull out his real wiener? <laughs> like, will he pull out and put on us his real wiener? And I knew we were in trouble if she couldn't say cock or dick or penis, like it was a fifth grade wiener. And she said, he can't do that, check the website. So we go onto the, we go onto the website, and there's pretty much no information on the website. There's where the girl has put her credit card number in to reserve a stripper, and it says he'll be at your house. There's literally no other information. It's like skydiving in Guatemala. You, there's no contracts, no nothing. Just like, jump. But the one thing it did say was that he would arrive with his own music, um, his own boombox, a costume, and I quote, a great attitude. So we're all getting excited. We're like, we're like tweens at, you know, like getting ready to watch Justin Bieber on TV or something. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and we all scream. We're literally like, you get it, no, you get it, no, you get it. We'll all get it. So we all get and go to the door and we open it and there he is. Kevin, our stripper. Now, Kevin is a huge man. I would say he's about 6'5 and just like massive with a shaved bald head. I wouldn't say he's hot or terrible looking. If I were to liken him to a fictitious literary character, I would say Lenny probably from Of Mice and Men. Right? He's attractive enough to like fuck a farm girl who hadn't seen someone she was not related to in a long time. But he also had kind of a slow look in his eye that he could like crush you to death if he hugged you too hard. So he's like, I just need you to push play on my boombox and tell me where to change. So we let him, you know, we show him upstairs and at this point I realize I'm not fucked up enough for what is gonna happen. So we pass around more Evan Williams and he's up there for like 20 minutes, which we don't know what he's doing, but we find out later that before you're gonna strip, guys, you watch porn to get hard and then you put a cock ring on, so it remains hard. If I'm making anybody uncomfortable, I don't care. And then they put like some potion on it to keep it hard. I don't know, it worked. So he yells down, says he's ready, pushes play, and what comes over his um, phone box is kind of like a scene from Full Metal Jacket. It's like, you maggots, I'll rip your head off and shit down your neck. And, this is my rifle and this is your gun. Uh, and then like patriotic music and we're like, this seems aggressive. <laughs> I was hoping for LL Cool J or maybe like Molly Crew. I don't know, I'm old school. So down the steps he like marches in his, his official military like Marine outfit. And he's like saluting and he's got like four moves. He's like kickball change step, like body rub, point. And it's a 60, it's a 60 minute it's a 60 minute routine. In the first five minutes, he's almost completely naked, ex except for his Snuggie. Now, this is what we've coined it. It is a small little sheath that goes over the penis and that has tassels at the end, which you can loosen to tempt everybody with your um, penile tip. So 
He's already got the bride lifting her up, throwing her around, and I, none of us are sexually excited at this point. I mean, it's, come on, it's a stripper. It's kind of gimmicky. We're just having fun. But then I see him throw the bride up, and he literally throws her around. And we're worried she's going to get decapitated by the ceiling fan. I'm afraid we should take down some seashell pictures. Like, it is getting real in there. And I start to think, I'm kind of a heavy girl, and I bet he's going to pick me up and throw me around. And when you're big boned and dense, and you're a bait, and you're normally a base on the cheerleading squad, you can start to feel like heavy. So I was starting to get a bit turned on thinking, he's going to throw me around and I'm going to like it. And it was my turn. And before I knew it, he flipped me around and he was fake 69ing me, guys. He was giving me simulated oral sex and I did not hate it. And I'm starting to question my past choices, my current choices, but I'm like not hating it. And there's a whole like five other girls sitting there watching and I'm like oh maybe I am into group sex I don't know what's happening to me <laughs> I mean oh hurry Emily post so so then he puts me down and I'm like whoa my lines of right and wrong are blurring and then he goes over to another girl and lays her flat and he's doing like this sexy worm well he thinks it's sexy um he's doing like this sexy worm and now his snuggie's all the way tucked up all the way tucked under he's like literally just giant hard pendulum wrecking ball cock just like <laughs> and her, his junk is right by her face and so she gets like she's like kind of playfully like she's kind of like me she's like yeah we'll have fun with it and she's like whoa <laughs> oh goes right in her mouth she doesn't, she doesn't scream, she doesn't bite down, he doesn't look like, he's like not even phased by it, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, like maybe this is protocol, I don't know. So she, he like gets her up, throws her around, goes to the next girl, and she goes into the bathroom, takes the Evan Williams, she's rinsing her mouth out, and I'm like, what? happened and she was like he put his dick in my mouth and i let him and i'm like i know but why and she was like i don't know it was instinct every time there's been a dick by my mouth i put it in my mouth I mean, have you ever had a dick by your mouth and i was like you know what i'm not saying i would have done it but i understand it like every time there has been a dick by my mouth that i can recall i have put it in my mouth. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, she, everything seems okay. Like, okay, she's going back in. Maybe, I think maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know. Like, she's back in it. And I'm like, okay, so, so mouth rape is okay for him, I guess. Although she didn't say no, but then again, her mouth was full. Hey, yo. So, so anyway, we go back in and I'm like, this has got to be it, right? Like, we're on the train to nowhere. And then he turns and he's like, are you ladies ready for the finale? And I'm like, I don't know, am I? I don't know. And, and half of me, the half that's like, honey, put your, pull your jeans up and cool it. And then there's the other half of me is like, I'm fucking ready for it. And before I know it, I have picked up a wad of 20s and I'm fucking making it rain on it. And I'm like, you fucking make America proud and you make the, the United States Marine Corps proud. And you fucking use our Vendelli. And he's like, all right. So he straddles this chair and he begins slowly, deliberately masturbating. Oh. 
very slowly. And he's holding eye contact like a little too long, and then he'll give like a wink. And I don't know if it's the special potion that has gotten in his eye from his penis, but we're all in a, we've gotten in this like creepy Girl Scout semicircle, and we're all like, and it is, it's, it's, it's literally like, that's it. And I wonder if his manager was like, okay, Cyclone, that was his name, because he could throw people up. And he did whip us into a sexual store. So he, I'm thinking his manager's like, okay, Cyclone, if they go for the, the mouth rape, then go straight for the awkward jerk off. Go get him, Tiger. And so at this point, we are all like, we're all, we're all, we've all crossed the line. Um, and then all of a sudden, the really, the, the debutante gets up and she marches upstairs and I'm like, finally, finally someone has, has drawn the line. We're gonna separate the ladies with class for our, our the sexual beasts that can't get enough. And before another thought could come into my mind, she came down with her camera and started taking close-ups of the masturbating stripper. And she gets about six shots in, you know, and he's like, wait a second. You can take pictures, but no social media. I got a kid. And I'm trying to be an accountant. Within the next breath, he's like, oh, I'm gonna come. Drip. I mean, we were ready for like Star Spangled Banner splooge and like, we're like, we're gonna miss our fights because we're gonna be cleaning up jizz for days. There's gonna be jizz everywhere. And we were like, if you're like gonna bring it for America, and that's what happened. And so he's like, he's like uh, cleaning himself up and like picking up his 20s and like scurrying around. And I'm like, yeah, you fucking whore, pick your fucking dirty money up, you fucking dirty whore. That's how I felt. So like the lady, the debutante, went, I don't even know if she went to the trip at all because, okay, so then he goes upstairs, he gets like, pulls himself together. The girl who got mouth raped is like outside chain smoking. And then he comes downstairs and one of the girls who couldn't look at him the whole time is like, so tell me about your son. And then the girl who couldn't, who could barely say wiener is like, she's chewed through like five penis straws. And she's like looking at her, her new photograph album. Oh Lord. And you know, after all of this, I definitely don't judge people. As, as much as I used to. Um, <laughs> and I think that we all were leveled by this, this cyclone that came through our lives because I think a lot of us who um, maybe felt a little more empowered by our sexuality and some of us were maybe more shamed by it. I mean, I definitely felt it was odd that I could turn into one of those guys watching, I was basically like watching a girl dance with a cesarean scar at a strip club. That's how I felt, like that dirty, dirty man. But regardless, I'm really glad I weathered the storm. Thank you. Sophia Lillian, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. <laughs> that was so much fun. Um, our next storyteller, he's also done the show before. He told me tonight this is the coolest thing. 
When he first walked into this theater, it was his birthday, and he fell in love with the place. And then when he fell in love with his girlfriend, he decided to ask her to marry him in this place. And tonight, he's back here in this place, and it is his birthday once again, tonight. So please welcome to the stage, Mr. David Appleton. So uh, I would like to share with you a story. It's a true story that happened to me. It's uh, the last time that I choked a stripper. <laughs> and I just want to let that sink in. I'm not a habitual stripper choker. Hadn't really choked any before this particular day in question. But here's how it goes. Um, let's flash back. 1998 wasn't necessarily the best year of my life. Um, broken up with my fiance. I got fired. I had to move in with my angel of a grandmother named Mamaw. Uh, yeah, that's, that's rough to, uh, to pick up chicks when you're, uh, you gotta take them back to Mamaw's house. I didn't really like going out because this also, like, I was just in a down time, so it was kind of this not give a shit time in my life. And I was like, well, you know what? Hey, we're just gonna, whatever happens, happens. Now, this also coincided with the time in your life where you're learning to go out and learn to drink and, like, find your way around, you know. This is all those, learn there were a lot of firsts just during this time. First, I would go out and you couldn't get anywhere because I was underage. And it's like that when you're 20, turning 21, you're like, ah, let's go here. I can't. What I did find out is um, since I'm a big guy, I could get into strip clubs underage. I found out they wouldn't ask me a question. I wear a nice watch, just walk right in during happy hour. I'm good to go. And this was fun. Like I, I liked going to strip clubs at the time. You know, it's it's a good way to spend sixty bucks. If I had sixty bucks to spend that week, I would go out, and I knew for sixty bucks. Like I like to have fun, but I also have a responsibility safety switch. Like if shit starts getting real, it saves me. And helps me, you know, keep on the up and up. So, so it was 60 bucks, I could go to a strip club. I knew I could see some titties, have some attractive women pretend to be interested in me. And maybe, just maybe, if I budgeted just right, I could have one of these attractive women actually come dry hump me for a mere $20. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that, that works. Like, it was just easier to do that. I didn't have any self-confidence at the time. So going out to a real bar or a club just was not going to work. I wasn't the sex machine that you see before you today. <laughs> so, like, I would go to the club and I could figure out the strip club. Like, I would, for a while, I, I would just try to not look stupid. So I'd try to figure everything out beforehand. So when they asked me the questions, I would knew the answers. And I would like sit over in the corner and like just be beautiful minding everything. Like I'm watching, I'm going, okay, so like this triangle here, let's see, I think she's going to do some coke now and this, uh, this one's going that way. And it was, it was cool because I was, as I was trying to figure out, like I knew exactly what to do when I went into the strip club. I walk in, find a spot on the side not right on the main stage, because you don't want to be always making direct eye contact with the girls. And you don't want to sit off too far in the corner, because then you're the creepy guy in the corner. No one wants to be the creepy guy in the corner. 
So you find a spot right over here near the main stage. Yes, it's called a main stage. There's also satellite one and satellite two, and they're all for you. The best, the best part of any strip club is the DJ. Have you guys heard of strip club DJ? I'm gonna go with no. Here's a spot. Normally you walk in and you hear, ladies and gentlemen, step right up and tuck a buck. It's your last chance for romance. It's a two-for-one special. Get your seat in the erection section. It's right next to the bone zone. <laughs> Remember, the more you keep tipping, the more they keep stripping. The more the scenery, the more the greenery. <laughs> these, these guys are ponytailed magicians with the English language, and they normally have a gold chain, too. But... <laughs> Just to, just to listen to them go at it is half the reason to go. So let's, let's fast forward. Somewhere towards the end of the last millennia, I am in a strip club in Columbia. It's about 1.30 in the morning. I'm wondering where my buzz went, and I'm like, well, it looks like we're going home to see the only bitch that cares about me, Mamaw. And, uh, and just about the time I'm ready to get up, this girl plops down. Right, like right in my lap, and I'm like, what? You know, and she's like, make me laugh, and I was like, I'm have no jokes, and my impressions are horrible. And she's like, ah, that's funny, and she, <laughs> she was. That's how it sounded, cause she was drunk. She not only smelled it, she acted it, and I was like, okay, we'll sit down. So for 30 minutes, just mindless banter, and I, you know, it's, it was entertaining for me. She's sitting there. 30 minutes passes, she goes. I want to dance for you. I was like, okay, you know. And part of me's like, I think you should. That's a good idea. You should dance for me. Part of me's like, make sure you get a two for one special. You don't want to be wasting too much money at this strip club. So I was like, so I wrote the, you know, I gave her the hard deal face. I was like, you can dance for this if I get a two for one. You know, I want, I want to make sure it's worth her time. So she's like, yeah, come on, whatever. She takes me back to the couch room, and there's, there's like several sections. There's like the front cushion, there's like the seedy section, and there's shit you don't talk about section. She took me back there. And I'm like, oh, that's right, oh. She <laughs> sits me down, and I'm like, all right, here it is, you know. So dance starts, first song, she's dancing, exactly like this. She's dancing. And um, first song, great. Second song, dancing. I'm thinking, she's going to get probably a six to seven out of a ten for a couch dance. Like, it's decent. It's spirited. Not great, but okay. <laughs> so at the end of the second song is when something weird happens. Normally when the second song's over, it's like Disney World. The ride is over. She's like... And like, you know, it's like, the ride's done, she wants to run to the back to wash my, the smell of my fat off of her. And like, I just want to go home and be ashamed. Like that's, that's normally what happens at that point. I'm like, oh, I should have, I should have gotten Chinese food with this. But, into the second song, she keeps going. And I'm like, look, this is on your clock. You know, I'm not, I am not paying for this. Second song, done, she dances for the third. She dances for the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. I'm like, somebody should report this bitch missing by now. Like, like shouldn't she have checked in? Don't they have a clock back there or something? So 
the more, like, it's the seventh song, and I'm like, wow. And she looks at me. She looks at me dead in the eye. She grabs me by the shirt and pulls me close. I'm like, ooh, you know, I, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I don't have this typewriting. She goes, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do, but I want to fuck you. <laughs> I've never heard some shit like this before, and I'm like, like, the, the, the front part of me is reacting. I'm like, okay, the back part is going, what did she say? <laughs> the front's like, come on, bitch, do this. The back part's like, oh, the stripper wants it. So I'm like, yeah, all right. And I, I know she wants to fuck me, but I also know I'm not paying for seven dances because that was on her idea. <laughs> so I kind of brush it off. We're going, and she's still dancing away. It's like eight songs. We get to the ninth song. Shit gets real. She leans in real close to my ear. Now, I hadn't noticed because I'm just in this whirlwind of new shit happening and strippers just in my face and wanting to fuck me, and that's weird. So she, like, I didn't notice each time she danced for me, it was getting a little more and more aggressive. Like, she'd pull on a shirt or yank an ear. I don't tell me to steal third, but she's doing all this stuff. And then she leans in real close to this ear and she goes, I want you to choke me. I was like, whoa. I didn't know if she deserved to be choked. I didn't know what she had done wrong. That's like, that's like somebody saying, fly the plane. I'm like, I've been to the airport twice. <laughs> I passed it off. She's dancing some more and she leans in. She says, no, really, choke me. In my mind, I'm thinking, what would this look like? I'm working out, I'm beautiful mind in all the scenarios. Triangles equal bouncers punching me. I'm just like, ow, all I can see in my mind is me being like, I'll just try it, huh? And then like, bouncers just be like, ah, on the news. So she leans in. As I'm processing this, she leans in again and she bites me on the titty, right here. Right here, it's a titty, I'm a man, we can... So she bites my titty, and I was like, ow! And as I pushed her back, I pushed her like right here. I didn't try to, but I like, I got a little, like when you choke, you pull the dog back a little bit. I got that, and then she goes, It was a moan from somewhere in like a deep, messed up childhood. It just came right out. I realized there's a there's an orgasm switch located somewhere near the back of the trachea on this particular model. I had never dealt I never dealt this before. I never driven one of these. It's like you're driving a new car and you're like, whoa, that's a new option. What's this do? So, so um, she liked that, and I got that a lot. Like, she really expressed that to me in a clear manner. So I was like, okay, well, she's okay with it. Let's, let's give it a shot. So I'd be like, bouncer check, look left, look right, squeak. At first it was like, at first it was like that scene from uh, Full Metal Jacket where Pyle chokes himself, but in this one, Pyle really wanted to be choked. I was just holding my hand and she was doing that and then it was like testing a grapefruit or whatever type fruit. I was like, 
just to see, like, eh, eh, you know, she pass out, it's too much, bring her back. <laughs> so this goes on for a little while, and she, she says, we gotta get out of here. And again, the front of me is like, yeah. And the back part's like, what? <laughs> so she says, I'm gonna go get my stuff, and we're gonna get out of here. And I was like, that's, you should do, you should do that. That's a good idea. Let's go get that stuff. She walked to the back and the responsibilities like, pfft, like the flag was up. I was like, holy shit, get out of here. So I ran out of a strip club. Now you can't, you can't quote unquote run out of a strip club. It was like, uh, like if you're running in an elementary school, like you have to run between the doors. I was like, <laughs> I had to shuffle more, but, um, I got past there, got out, because you don't want to run past bouncers. They don't like that either. I get outside, and I got in my car and left. And in my mind, I, I, I think that, like, ten minutes later, she ran out with, like, her bags, like, where's my choking prince? And that might not have happened, but I do know that was the last time I choked a stripper, and I also did not have to pay for any of those dances. Thanks so much. It's been an honor. So. Uh, so we learned tonight that David has a very vocal front part of him and back part of him. <laughs> Our next storyteller, I'm so thrilled, he just, he's a New York storyteller, but just happens to be in town, just, just chilling out, checking out the festival and having some fun. So it's a thrill to have him here tonight. Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Nathaniel Bates. So some mornings in second grade, the first thing I would see was my dad's big adult penis. Um, I had a paper route, so I had to get up really early. And nine times out of ten, I'd be up and out the door before my dad. But, you know, he'd have to come just to make sure that I didn't hit the alarm and oversleep. And I was their firstborn, so they were like aging hippies, and they were just about done being hippies when I was in second grade. So he was still sleeping naked. And... The rare mornings at oversleep, he'd come into my bedroom and find me there, have to shake me, and I'd kind of like, Ugh. and bam, right at height level, my dad's big adult cock. <laughs> now, the shocking part of this was it looked completely different than my own penis. Not only was it big, firm, and like adult, it had this like big red ball at the end, whereas mine looked like just kind of like a droopy elephant trunk. And I, I didn't know what to make of it. What I do know is my family, even though they were had a little hippie phase, my parents will be born and will die wasps. We do not talk about our emotions. We don't say, I love you. You know, we come from Puritans that liked chairs that had really straight backs. We don't talk about sex. So even though I wanted to ask him, like, why is my penis look different than dad's? I never did. What I did luckily find was I remember watching sitcoms after school. I particularly remember on uh, watching Small Wonder, The Girl of the Robot. And if you read in lines in sitcoms, they kind of said things they weren't PC allowed to say. But I remember there was an episode where Vicky the Robot was wondering why the boy that they live with was like 
you know, getting facial hair. And it was because he was changing. His body was changing. And because Vicky was a robot, they'd explain that she wasn't going to do that. But, you know, he was. And I kind of figured out, I was like, a lot of the other sitcoms had that changing plot for these teens that were starting to get awkward. I was like, ah, that'll be what happens. When I hit a certain age, you know, that ball, like, they have the skin, and I can roll up and find that little ball that's in there. That'll just, like, slowly come down when I hit that changing part. Cool, I don't need to bother my parents about it. That was until they enrolled me in swim class. And I remember the first time, I was really bad at swimming, so they had to go to the YMCA to learn. And I just remember, I was already scared about going to swim. And I walk into the locker room, and you hit with a wall of chlorine. And there, as far as the eye could see, were fathers and sons, some getting changed, some all shriveled from being in the pool. And their penises all looked like my dad's. Had this little rubbery ball at the end. And at that point, I was like, wait. I'm not, I'm not, I am a freak. I'm, my dad's the normal one. So I got, the first time I did have to change the locker room, but from that point on, I would put on my bathing suit at home, and then I would just wrap a towel around and go right to my mom's car and never change the locker room. So none of the kids had to see that my penis was all messed up. Um, and luckily my mom, you know, she was so busy just talking at us constantly about all life's details that like she never noticed uh, that I was back in the back of the car dripping wet. She just didn't notice life's details because she was so busy with them. Now, I would go up in my room sometimes, and I thought maybe I'm supposed to motivate this change. So I would sit in the room, some, my bedroom sometimes, when I was like eight or nine, and I would just roll the skin back, and the little ball would come out, and I'd be like, great. But then I'd like go, and it'd pop back out. And I'd be like, maybe you just got to keep doing it. Maybe my parents didn't sit me down and tell me this. So I'd spend... Spend like a half an hour right before bed just popping it out, but boom, right back. And I was like, oh, it's not working. Now, finally, like when I was in like fifth grade, I still didn't know, and I went to every summer I'd go to summer camp. And I'd always change in the, in the stall in the morning so the kids didn't have to see that. I was like weird and not like them. But in like fifth grade, one or two of the kids had like probably had pubes. And because it's like when bullying is sticking in, they noticed I was like changing in the stall. And they kind of like, hey, I bet Bates doesn't have pubes. And then I was like, no, no, that's not it. Because like it wasn't it. I did not have pubes. But I was like, oh, if that was the only problem down there. Oh, that would be, would be amazing. But I was like, no, no, I've, I've got, what, you guys don't need to worry about it. But then once you make it a thing, it kind of becomes a thing. So as the week of camp went on, it came more like, oh, you're changing to the stall again. Change the stall. So like by midweek, I started changing in the bunk room, but I like get really close to the corner and like be like, kind of make a thing like, yeah, guys, I'm just changing with you, but like clearly removed myself as much as I possibly could. And then they kind of kept this buildup in the bunk room. Like we want to see what's going on. We want to see. Now, for some of the kids, it was bullying. And I do know there was like one or two of the kids who since have come out. So for them, it must have been amazing. It's like, oh my God, these guys want to see a cock and we're allowed to like join in and see another. So for them, it was like the greatest moment. There was a free ticket to want to see a guy's penis. And I remember the last full day at camp, I'm changing the corner and I just feel a hand on my shoulder and I get spun around and there's all the campers in my bunk and they're kind of looking at me and they look down, they're all ready to laugh. And then they're just as puzzled by my junk as I am. And instead of like getting ready to laugh that there's no hair, which again, there was no hair at the time, they're just, and we drop it. It does not get spoke again the rest of the time at camp. And again, that was church camp. I, 
uh, did not go back after that. My brother and sister kept going, and they kept became counselors there, but that was my end of that camp. Now, finally, in uh, seventh grade, we, you have health class. And everyone's kind of excited for health class because it's the first time you're, like, allowed to all talk and learn about sex. But then everyone's also kind of nervous because you're going to, like, see overhead projections of ovaries and really the, like, not cool part of sex. And everyone's also all hopped up on hormones, so everyone's kind of bipolar seventh grade messes anyway. <laughs> and I just remember we're one day there, and I'm feeling awkward and half, like, titillated that I'm there and half awkward. And I'm probably, like, looking at the girl in front of me, seeing if I can see up, like, the side arm of her thing and see if she's wearing a bra yet or not. And I'm just half paying attention. And then the teacher is at the overhead projector. He puts the slide on, and there... On the screen, there, there, there I am. <laughs> he, he goes, now this is a slide of an uncircumcised male penis. And I'm like, that's me. I'm uncircumcised. What the hell is that? <laughs> to myself. And he goes, most men are born, all men are born this way, but in, because of disease, tradition from Europe and other uh, religious things, it's pretty common to cut the foreskin off. Only 8% of American males have a penis that actually still has foreskin. It's very common, though, nowadays in Europe. Uh, they, some people aren't doing it because it might hurt the kids, which fits with my aging parent hippies. Like, you know, they didn't want to hurt the baby. Um, and he goes, there's more nerve endings in there, so their, their sex is actually better. And at that point in my head, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and then he says, also, you got to watch out because... They got to clean more in there because some diseases can get in there. And then in my head, I'm like, oh, my parents probably should have told me to clean in there. <laughs> but I'm still, I'm feeling good. I'm finally feeling like I'm, I know what I am. Until I start walking at the girls' faces. And they're all like, oh, that's, that's weird. And I hear one girl go, I bet it tastes like pee. And, <laughs> and I'm looking around, I'm like, no, 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 this is... And then we're leaving, I'm starting to feel like maybe this, now that I know what I am, I, and I even hear the guys go, I'm glad mine doesn't look like that, that's really weird. So in like one health class, I like finally knew what I was, and it was a weird, pee-tasting European dick guy. <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. I, luckily I did, I, everyone is some level of depression in middle school, and add that to the mix, I kind of decided, took upon myself how can I keep girls from seeing my penis? Gain 100 pounds. I promise you, if you don't want anyone to see your private parts, gain 100 pounds. It works every time. So most of high school, I didn't have to worry about if a girl was going to try to see it because there was no chance. And it was just kind of there under my you know, high school fat body. And I do remember, though, like we got AOL at the time, and I started looking online to, you know, for porn. And if 8% of Americans are uncircumcised, 0.0001% of porn actors are uncircumcised. They all have like big, nice, throbbing, veiny cocks. Not like some dangly elephant trunk where semen just drips out of. So like I felt dejected. And like I started gravitating towards lesbian porn because at least I didn't like feel weird about it. And, like, once or twice I tried typing in, like, uncircumcised, but you just get gay sites. If you sur- it's the only people that are into it. There's no females that have a secret love for it. Um, so I always wondered if my dad saw my search history. And, again, we don't talk about sex, but he's like, why is my 14-year-old son looking at gay, uncircumcised porn? But 
So one thing led to another. It was time to pick colleges. And I was like on the fence between two. But one was NYU. And I looked there. And they had their own bathrooms. You didn't have to share it with the floor. And if there was a deciding factor, that was it. There was no chance anyone was going to see my junk. And then I, in NYU, I kind of got into a pseudo-relationship with a girl who was a devout virgin. So, and I was starting to lose weight, but like, if you're fat and dating a devout virgin, you can, you can just cut it off. There's no reason that it's not going to get played with. So I was like putting up walls for myself so that no one would have to see it. But then finally, I'd lost a lot of weight. We had kind of, the, me and the pseudo-virgin had broken up, and I was still a, not a pseudo-virgin. I was a full virgin. Um, and I was, you know, drinking with friends and at this girl's apartment, and we're all pretty drunk, and somehow I realized we paired off, and, like, it doesn't really happen to me. I'm, I'm 21 at this point. And I'm, like, paired off with this girl, and we're making out, and then my hand's on her boob, and her shirt comes off and my hand's like on her real boob. And then I have like my fingers up her skirt and we're making out. And then she tries to go for my zipper. And you know that thing like when you're in a hall and you both go right and then you both go left and you kind of get annoyed where you're blocking each other? I went into that. I was like, she's not getting down there. Like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. I'll go down on you. No, no, Billy. Finally, she goes, pushes me back and she goes, what's going on here? Just get the pants off. Um... I kind of stand up, I'm sheepish, I'm like, I, I don't want to ruin this, I don't know why I'm trying to save it, because the annual, at some point, these pants have to come off, either two months from now or three months from now. I kind of get up, I take the pants off, I keep my underwear on, I sit back down, she goes, what the hell? Get the underwear off. And I stand up, and I'm, I'm like, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's a little weird. And I just drop them, and I'm expecting to look up and just see her repulsed, and instead she has a puzzled look on her face for about one second, reaches up, pushes the skin back just a little, then lets it go. The ball pops right back out. She kind of giggles and she goes, that's fun. <laughs> I've never seen one before. And then she puts it in her mouth and like two seconds I came. <laughs> Thank you. Nathaniel Bates, everyone! All righty, all righty, all righty. Our next storyteller uh, told a story for us at our last Risk show here in Charleston, and it was such a joy that uh, I wanted to have her back. She told a story about how she uh, fell on top of and nearly crushed her gynecologist. <laughs> got his face completely smothered in her boobs <laughs> and uh, it was quite a uh, crowd pleaser and a good time and then she topped it off by singing a song by singing a summertime so you never know what's going to happen when Sean Kennedy comes up on stage uh, she is a stand-up you can find her on Twitter at Sean Kennedy and that's at S-H-O-N Kennedy and she does stand up at This Is Chucktown right here at Theater 99 as well. So please welcome to the stage the fabulous Sean Kennedy! Hi, guys. So, I'm driving home for Christmas. And it's about... 
I'm on I-95 going home. There's nothing, you know? And I see a dog, and he's looking at me. And I'm looking at him. I don't know where he came from. And I'm like, this dog is going to run out in front of my car. And he absolutely did. So he runs out in front of my car. I hear it crinkle, crack, everything. I freak the fuck out. Like, I'm in my car, like, And so then I hear this guy like banging on the window and he's like, Are you alright? Are you alright? And I was like, Whoa! You know? Like, whatever you think a redneck is, that's what this guy was. Okay? He's got the tattoos, stringy hair, the hat, he had a tooth every now and then. Like, the whole, the whole thing. So I was like, yeah, I'm all right. And I was like, you should probably let down the window. So I was like, I killed a dog, I killed a dog. And he's like, baby girl, don't you worry about that goddamn dog. That dog committed suicide. I don't know where that fucker even came from. If you had swerved, you would have killed yourself. If you slammed on brakes, you would have killed all of us. You did the right thing. So that made me feel a little better, but. Not much. It's like, let's check out your car. So we open my hood and it's just spewing everything everywhere. And I'm like, oh my God. And so he's like, I'll follow you to the next exit. You can call somebody that can pick you up. So it's like, okay. So we go to the next exit. I call my family. You know, they're expecting me. And they all freak the fuck out. You know, my dad calls my brother, calls my uncle, who calls my other uncle, who's kind of sort of a mechanic, and they all come pick me up, you know? It's like, they're like an hour and a half away. So, I go back over to this guy, and I'm like, sir, you know, thank you so much. I, I just, I don't know what I would have done if you hadn't stopped, because I was really just freaking the fuck out, you know? And he's like, baby girl, I ain't going nowhere. You still crying? and shaking like a fucking leaf on a tree. I mean, son of a bitch fell if you out here by yourself like that on Christmas morning. Plus, I was just sitting here rolling this joint, so I was going to finish that anyway before I left. So I look at this man, and then my exact words were, please, sir, may I have some? <laughs> He's like, hell yeah, get on in here. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the CNT exit off 95 in a 1978 Thunderbird that's gray with burgundy interior with a guy who if I saw on the street, I'd probably cross the fucking street. He's rolling a joint and I'm about to smoke it. And I'm just like, you know, it's see what happens, you know? So I get inside, and you know how like, the windows used to be black, and now they're kind of purplish, whatever. So I finish just a joint, and we start smoking, so I'm like, where are you from? <laughs> you know? So he tells me his life story, and I don't know what he considers a fortune, but he's like, you know, I've had a fortune, I've lost a fortune, now I live in a trailer park. See a little bit of drugs, just you know, some black guys in different trailer parks, you know. You know, I really don't trust black people, but you seem kind of cool. You know? 
you, sir. As a redneck, you are pretty awesome as well. I got this one friend, one black friend, his name's Tony. I think he's the only black person I've ever let in my house. I don't know why. So he starts telling me uh, like all these stories. He's like, yeah, you know, I sell a little weed and you know, you can make meth anywhere. Making a living, you know, just making a living. And my wife, she got in this real bad accident, so she basically has a steel spine, which means like she's always in pain. So she gets 160 oxycontin a month. Well, she don't take it all because she smokes a lot of weed. So she sells her oxycontin. That's just to make her some more money on top. Yeah. So, do you have some drugs in the car? Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Probably should go ahead and tell you that, you know. And at that point, I was like, I don't fucking care, you know. I don't. So we're still smoking. Like I don't know how many joints we smoked. So we're like, I, I'm sharing his Mountain Dew. You know? <laughs> I probably have hepatitis. You know, like, I get cotton mouth. I'm like, hey, have some. He's like, sure, oh, my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Probably gonna drop dead. Anyway. So he starts telling me these stories about like how drug deals go bad and you know how he's been shot and he's been stabbed and like you know you wait two weeks and you're talking to this person to set up a drug deal and you don't know like you know if they're gonna kill you or take your drugs or kill you and take your drugs, or if they just really want to make a drug deal, you know? And he's like, yeah, and it's not, you know, I spent the night in my car, go up fines, and, you know, I mean, you know, been in jail, got out of jail, went back to jail, you know? And Tony was apparently one of the guys who helped take care of his wife while he was in jail, the black guy. So that's why I guess he trusted him and let him in his house. But, um, <laughs> but he's like, you know, you might wife brother's the big drug deal. <laughs> so, I'm listening to all these stories about like the police and running and you know fleeing and getting shot and stabbed and I'm like fascinated and I just started bawling. Like I was crying my eyes out and he's like what's wrong? And it was like my life is so fucking boring. <laughs> no one's ever tried to kill me. No one's ever tried to take my drugs. Like, I did everything right. I went to school. I got good grades. I went to school fucking again. I got good grades. I went to school fucking again and got good grades. And then I got a job that I fucking hate. So I got another job that I also fucking hate. So I got another job that I also fucking hate. And I leave the fucking job that I hate. And I go to my one bedroom apartment with no dog, no cat, no houseplant. I'm the only fucking thing living in my apartment. Okay? I don't have any boyfriends, I don't have any prospects, I haven't had sex in a year and a half. Do you know how long that is? It's a long fucking time and a lot of fucking batteries, okay? Like, I'm that girl. 
Like, I'm not gonna go somewhere, you know, for the weekend without some place to stay. You know, like, I don't do that. I did marijuana and, you know, in college everybody did, but I never do cocaine because they're like, God, it's cocaine. You know, I didn't know why I even fucking call this, like, a life. You know, like, it's just. It, it doesn't make any sense. I take care of my parents. I take care of my siblings. I'm a good fucking person. I say please and fucking thank you all the goddamn time, and I fucking hate it. I hate it. I should have died just then. This is a waste of a fucking life. He's like, all right, come on back. Come on back. Come on back. He's like, here, smoke this. And it was something like a skull or something like that. You know? But it made me feel better. So I was like, this was a sign. This was supposed to happen. I was supposed to get in this accident and I was supposed to meet you. And you know what? From now on, everything in my life is going to be different. If I want to do something, I'm going to fucking do it. If I don't like somebody, I'm going to be like, you know what? I don't fucking like you. If I like somebody, I'm going to be like, you know what? I like you. Why don't you come back to my one bedroom apartment where I'm the only thing living? Let's hang out for a little bit. You know? I'm like, if I want to go somewhere, I'm going to go. You know, I'm going to take chances, because what's the worst thing that could happen? I could die. That's going to fucking happen anyway. I could go to jail. You've been to jail. Seems like you're doing all right. <laughs> I mean, what's the big fucking deal? You know? So my brother calls, and he's like 10 minutes away. And so the guy leaves, and he gives me a gigantic bag of weed. Like, a gigantic bag of weed and a handful of Oxycontin, because he said I was going to be sore the next day. You know, and he was right, absolutely. So my brother gets here, and I'm just like, telling him, I was like, Oh my god, I just met this guy and he was so cool, he's kind of sort of redneck and his wife has still fucking spine, but you know what? I'm gonna live the rest of my life and I'm gonna do what I wanna do. If I don't like to man be like, fuck you, you know what? And I just think it was meant to be that I got in this accident. That guy, that guy could have been Jesus. You don't know. Okay? You don't know. So, meanwhile, I have no proof that this man ever existed <laughs> other than weed and Oxycontin, which I could have gotten from anywhere, so. Uh, to this day, I don't know if my brother thinks I'm absolutely fucking insane, uh, but it turned out to be a pretty good day. So, there you go.
That's all for this episode, folks. This is Nona Phoenix behind me now. The links to the websites for the storytellers and the musicians are at risk-show.com slash listen. Remember, if you pass through Charleston, you got to go to www.theater99.com. That's theater with an R-E at the end. Check out all the wonderful stuff they're doing there. If you live in Charleston, keep following us because we plan on being back hopefully in January. Remember, anyone can take coaching sessions with me online through the storystudio.org. I can I can help teach you how to create your own storytelling show. I can coach you on shaping and deepening your own storytelling. And we have a ton of other educational opportunities there too. Video lecture series, corporate training, That's thestorystudio.org. Meanwhile, Risk has a bunch of wonderful live shows coming up in New York, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. On June 27th, we're at the Pit in New York City with Vic Henley, Harrison Greenbaum, and Neil Brennan. Neil is the co-creator of Chappelle's show, if you didn't know. On that same night, June 27th at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles, we have Moshe Kasher, Mather Zickel, I think we're going to have Joe Latrulio and Baron Vaughn. Then on June 29th in D.C., big, big show that we're doing with Speakeasy D.C. at the, I keep forgetting the name of this theater, the Town Dance Boutique. I've been working on those stories with those storytellers. I can tell you that is going to be an emotional roller coaster ride. Big, big laughs, big, big tears. As you know, we are always searching for emotionally loaded, revealing stories. If you have one, or if you know someone who does, check out the submissions page at risk-show.com or just write to me directly at kevin at risk-show.com. Stories about murder, addiction, uh, profound instances of love and forgiveness, incarceration, surviving disasters, heinous crimes, outrageous fortune, war stories... Uh, suicidal situations, breaking taboos, dealing with grief. Don't be shy. Reach out to us at Kevin at Risk-Show.com. Remember, we are looking for a business director for Risk and the Story Studio, a business whiz with a real entrepreneurial savvy. Write to Kevin at Risk-Show.com. Other than that, folks, today's the day. Take a risk. in my mouth and I let him and I'm like I know but why and she was like I don't know it was instinct every time there's been a dick by my mouth I put it in my mouth sunshine lollipops and rainbows everything that's wonderful